Welcome back to episode 316 of the Freedom Pact podcast. My guest today is Dr. Marianne Tubi. Marianne is the founder and editor-in-chief of humanprogress.org, a data-driven institute that seeks to understand how the world is getting better. We discuss key markers of progress such as technology, increased GDP, disposable income, literacy rates, individual freedom and liberty, and decreases in key areas such as child mortality, deaths from natural disasters and war, famine, and much more. Anybody that turns on the news will, of course, know that life is not always about progress. In fact, when you look at the current picture, it seems like we may even live in the worst time of all. There are wars, a climate crisis, societal fragmentations, injustice, and we really need to square both of those ideas off. In doing so, I hope that this conversation offers some balance to what is quite a one-sided conversation, and I hope that this conversation inspires people to develop a clearer picture of society, hope, and progress. Before we jump into this, this is just a quick reminder that the full video interview is up on our YouTube channel, in which you can watch along with 45,000 plus other like-minded individuals. There's a link below, or simply search Freedom Pact on YouTube. If you enjoy our work, please like, share, and leave us a review, as this really helps to grow the show and to get the guests on that you want to hear from. Without any further ado, I hope that you enjoyed this conversation with Marianne Tubi. You are, of course, the editor-in-chief of humanprogress.org. Humanprogress.org chronicles the way in which human welfare has pretty drastically improved um, across the last few centuries. Why is that an important project? I think that people's perception of the world is uh, fundamentally skewed by the nature of the news. The news is about what happens, not about what doesn't happen. News tends to lead with the most traumatic, the most dramatic uh, things that happen during the day. Um, That's always been the case. You know, if it bleeds, it leads. And uh, people who, even intelligent and well-informed people who just watch the news or uh, listen to the radio or get on the internet, they're more more than likely going to encounter uh, bad news first. Again, it's it, news is about what happens immediately. The, the worse it is, the more newsworthy it is. And um, uh, bad things happen instantaneously, you know, planes flying into buildings, floods, uh, tsunamis, etc. Now, progress happens incrementally over very long periods of time. There is never a point in time when GDP per capita doubles. This happens every year over a very long period of time. Uh, Same with child mortality, same with life expectancy, calorie intake, whatever. And uh, as a consequence, uh, these sorts of things uh, never really make it onto the front page because they are incremental. They happen over a long period of time. And um, as such, uh, people go around the world thinking that the world is in a much worse state than it really is. And it is the job of uh, people like me and uh, Steven Pinker and Johan Norberg and uh, Michael Schellenberger and whatever else, whoever else, 
to uh, inform people about the real state of the world. And uh, I think that's important. Um, not not for uh, I, I think it's important because if you want to understand the world or even if you want to change the world because you don't think it's sufficient, it is always best to start with facts and knowing what the world is really like. It's 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 pointless for you to try to change the world if your perception of the world is completely different from the reality of the world. And you say something there that really interests me. You talk about the news, and of course, the news is a non-random, highly biased sample of all the worst things that are happening in the world. By definition, a small town up in the northeast of England that has had no violence or no criminal offences for a large period of time, by definition, that isn't news. And I suppose one of the worries about, for instance, hyperfixating on what is on BBC or CNN or on Fox or the New York Times is that we can come to see that as representative of what's going on in the world. Do you perhaps see that that is a problem and perhaps is that what has led to you kind of coming up with this human progress or perhaps as a counter to that? Exactly, exactly. So for every person who gets killed in a terrorist attack or eaten by a shark or struck by lightning, uh, you know, a billion people goes to bed um, after having a decent day and they're perfectly safe and sound, but you never hear about them. And so, um, you know, we see this right i mean i mean people have a completely uh, wrong idea about uh, the state of global poverty they have a completely wrong idea about uh, how much money people around the world make they have completely wrong idea about uh, hunger uh, and child mortality all sorts of things so um it is a problem uh, that um that so once again i'm i'm not i'm not pollyannish i i I would consider myself at best a rational optimist, uh, but the point is that my optimism about the future of humanity is not based on some wishful thinking. It is based on uh, a, a, a mountain of data which shows that humans over the last 200, 300 years especially have uh, solved a lot, of, a lot of problems, which gives me uh, at least a, uh, perhaps not confidence, but it gives me some basis to hope that we can resolve our problems in the future as well. So it's not really about Pollyannish or even optimism. The real state of the world is much better than what people think it is. And I guess that this is perhaps a, just a great place to jump into your work. So in terms of human progress, could you give us some clear examples, some data points of perhaps some of the key trends that you would like us and our audience to be aware of so we can perhaps start kind of visualizing the, the work that you do? Most obvious uh, is how long we live. Um, uh, life expectancy around the world for thousands of years was about 25 to 30 years. Now, globally, people live to about 73 years. Uh, in the United States, about 78 years is probably higher in the United Kingdom, around 80. I don't I don't know exactly. Uh, but uh, whether it is 78 or 80 or 82 uh, doesn't matter. The point is that we'll live three times as long as we used to. Um, for thousands of years, people survived on uh, production equivalent of $2 per person per day. Today, global GDP per capita adjusted for inflation is about $40 to $50. Uh, in the United States and Great Britain, it is much higher, obviously. Um, 
middle of middle of the 18th century in in a country like Sweden you could expect between one third and one half of all newborns to die before their first birthday that's before between one third and one half of all newborns to die before their third before their first birthday today it's a fraction it's something like uh, I mean it's 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 so tiny um that um, um I mean it's very tiny it's it's small it's something like one or two percent um one or two percent that can be right um it, it's very small <laughs> i would have to look it up um and um so the these are some examples uh calories um you know um again people lived on the edge of starvation for thousands of years today um uh, you know people in sub-saharan africa the world's poorest continent eat as much calories as the portuguese did in the 1960s so that gives you a sense of you know how much uh, wars violence all have declined uh we are we are not we are not only richer um but we are also i think in some ways a little bit more um a little bit more gentle a little bit more moral in a sense that um uh, you know certainly we are much more tolerant uh 50% of humanity um women uh didn't have many rights before the modern era today they are on equal footing with men um uh, gay people have been given uh, equal footing um obviously slavery was abolished uh, black people uh, have been given equal footing so in many different ways it's not just economic progress that we have made but moral progress as well and i think the one of the incredible things to consider about modern times just even recently in the era of large language models of generative ai of the decentralization of knowledge that we are seeing rapidly highlighted by the fact that top universities mit harvard stanford they are running a number of various online free courses knowledge has never been so widely available to people things as you mentioned literacy rates education informative educational podcasts are now widely available pretty much anywhere in the world. Um, so I would love to kind of ask you, just as kind of an example, just to kind of perhaps highlight this education point. If we take a continent like Africa, for instance, and we look at perhaps the dependent variable of education, literacy, reading, writing, compared to where as a continent perhaps they would have been a, a couple hundred years ago to now um how much progress for instance there has been made in literacy would be close to zero at the time of the european colonialism i mean many countries uh, south of the sahara uh, didn't even have a written language uh, i can't be certain about uh, middle africa but certainly in southern africa where i spent some time there wasn't a written language so today um 66 i looked at it a few years ago but uh, uh literacy rate in africa approached 70 percent so literacy rate is obviously much much higher um uh, uh, around the world uh mm. in 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 developed nations it's obviously close to 100 percent in uh, developing countries uh africa uh, you know south asia it's it's also very i mean it's it's um it's very high in in southern africa uh, sub-saharan africa it would be close to 70 percent for example um close to 100 percent of children around the world are attending primary school now the quality of primary schooling is very different some places it's very high some places very low but um uh, you know almost everywhere primary uh school enrollment is universal um in 
children who go to secondary schools uh it again it's uh it's substantially higher than it used to be and tertiary schools i mean tertiary schools have just exploded in the last 50 years you know barely anyone used to go to university now it's uh approaching something like 12 or 13 percent of all people uh all eligible people on the planet so um uh there's much more literacy uh much more school attendance uh 200 250 years ago even in western countries um you could expect to receive maybe one year of uh, uh official uh, uh learning uh, attend attend some sort of a, a courses equivalent to one year of schooling uh today uh, it's approaching 12 years um you know of of uh, of human life that is spent at school sure and i have to say that like i just love the data-driven approach to kind of seeing, you know, like what really is going on in the world. However, I could imagine that there may be piece, people listening to this that are um, maybe great in their teeth and they're going, you know, for instance, I'm in the UK, there's a cost of living crisis going on here. There's a war in Israel. There's a war in Ukraine. There's a climate emergency going on. Um, wouldn't those things perhaps justify a pessimism that could perhaps overshadow the great work the great progress that's being done what are your thoughts on that i i don't think that pessimism is something warranted or unwarranted i think it's a part of us i think that we have evolved to be pessimistic because that's how you survived in a world where everything wanted to kill you or eat you but uh if you have too much pessimism then of course uh, you can become nihilistic you can become fatalistic you can stop uh, thinking that uh, you have agency to improve the world i mean you, be, you can become immobilized by fear um and that's not a good idea either so uh, it it is uh, it is really my, my job or rather my attempt is to show people that the world is getting better uh it's the the, the world the, the better world that we live in than say 200 years ago uh, that's not a product of magic uh, uh, or, or or a deity. It is a product of human work, uh, application of the human mind. And so hopefully by showing that the world is really getting better and it has gotten better, uh, we can inspire more young people to use their minds not to become nihilistic or incapacitated by fear, but to use their minds in order to continue to invent and innovate so that everybody in the world can flourish in the future. In recent times, there has been a growing movement of climate change-induced anti-natalism. More people, perhaps, especially around university campuses, that have the belief that more people are not good for the planet. And as a result, as a consequence of that, they're deciding, I don't want to give birth. I do not want to, perhaps, contribute to a problem. Perhaps they have the belief that, for instance, the earth cannot sustain the amount of people that we have. They have fear of perhaps extreme weather driving uh, danger to a large amount of animals. Um, so the interesting thing perhaps here is that I would love to pick up on is that, of course, you, uh, you know, you're the editor-in-chief at Human Progress. The key word that there for me is human um, in the sense that, you know, humans are driving a lot of these uh the these changes the progress that we're seeing but on the flip side of that many people have the belief that you know humans may be contributing to substantial problems how do we perhaps square those off and do you think for instance that having more people on the planet is a good thing 
economic growth, but not just economic growth, but also environmental protection depends on ideas, new ideas, and new ideas can only be born in the human mind. The more minds you have, the more ideas you have, the more inventions and innovations you can produce, leading to productivity gains, leading to uh, increases standards of living. But even if you are concerned about the environment, uh, saving the environment will very much depend on our ability to cope with things like um, getting the CO2 out of the, out, out of the atmosphere. So coming up with technological solutions to that problem would be great. Um, it will be coming up with uh, maybe more efficient way of cooling the planet um, uh, or, or powering the planet um, with uh, safer, more uh, uh, nuclear power stations, be it, uh, be it fusion or uh, be it fission or fusion. And obviously fusion is something that humanity is still working on. So Yes, uh, having more brain power devoted to problems, be they problems of economic growth or environmental protection, is always a good idea. Uh, campuses are the epicenter of um, uh, negativity, pessimism, uh, fatalism, nihilism. Uh, that's very unfortunate. Um, I think that um, uh, the 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 extreme environmentalists have done a huge disservice, especially to the young people, by convincing them that the world is coming to an end. The world is not coming to an end. We are not running out of resources. We are not running out of water. We are not facing an existential crisis. Environment uh, environmental degradation and especially global warming is a problem. It is a problem, but it is not an existential crisis. Nowhere uh, does it say. Nowhere uh, can anybody say that humanity is going to die out as a result of global warming. Uh, global warming is an inconvenience. It is a problem. We should be addressing it. We are addressing it. Um, but the notion that uh, humanity itself is uh, threatened because temperatures have gone up by one and a half degrees Celsius is nonsensical. Um, nobody can show the logic by which um, by which this would lead to the destruction of human beings. An interesting point that you raised for there, because in doing my research for this podcast, that seemed a little counter to much of the mainstream consensus on the topic. And I've got a quote here uh, from the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change in 2021. And they said, the scientific evidence is unequivocal. Climate change is a threat to human well-being and the health of the planet. Any further delay in concerted global action will miss the brief rapidly closing window to secure a livable future. So when you hear something like that, um, I wonder if you kind of have any thoughts on, I guess, the severity of that statement. And in fact, whether the statement you believe is true that climate change is a significant threat to human life and human well-being. The first thing that we need to do is to read the report rather than the summaries of the report. The report is much more, whenever the report comes out, it is much more nuanced than the summary of the report, which goes to the media. The media then dumbs it down even more. And so that by the time it ends up on your coffee table uh, in form of a newspaper, it, it may be saying things which the original writers never expected to say. Now, the the IPCC says with high confidence that uh, global warming is increasing the number of heat waves or hot days during the year. 
uh, I accept that completely. I have absolutely no 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 problem with that. It is a problem, and uh, you know, obviously, the the world continues to 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 warm. Um, we we will have an even bigger problem, which is why we need to start thinking seriously about, uh, say, for example, um, uh, building more fission reactors and getting away from producing CO two into the atmosphere. But the IPCC also says that there is only a low confidence that uh, a global warming is contributing to things like increased precipitation or greater hurricanes or greater frequency of hurricanes or bigger hurricanes. Um, uh, so, um, you know, seas have been rising for a very long time. Um, the, um, the, the I am not aware the the IPCC doesn't say that it has high confidence effects. They say they have low confidence that uh, um, um, uh, increasing global temperatures are contributing, for example, to to fires. Right. Um, and in fact, the um, and, and so my point is that that the IPCC report is much more nuanced than than what people assume it is saying, and there is absolutely no basis in the IPCC reports for what uh, Gutierrez recently said that uh, we should stop talking about global warming and we should start talking about global boiling. I mean, what a joke that man is! Um, it's pathetic that he should resort to to to, to saying something like this. Um, so um, we have time. Um, and and more importantly, we already have ways in which to combat global warming. For example, uh, rising sea levels. They've been rising for a very long time. They are going to rise for a very long time. They are rising at about three millimeters um, millimeters per per decade. Um, the you know ag again, we, we depend on human innovation to to get around the problem. The Dutch. Um, one third of Holland is uh, under the sea level. The Dutch were able to build dikes and dry one-third of Holland 200 years ago, when uh, at a time when the technology was much more primitive and when they were much poorer compared to the Dutchmen today. I see no reason why uh, other countries shouldn't be able to do what the Dutch did, um, you know, when they were poorer and more technologically primitive. So these things can be done. That's a real, real interesting point. And I, whenever I do these podcasts, I always try to imagine that kind of anytime someone makes a point that our audience member, whether they comment on our YouTube videos or on Instagram or TikTok, that they're offering a kind of rebuttal as we're going through the conversation. And I could imagine that a person says, that's great, Marian, you know, uh, human progress is substantial. Clearly, you know, you've detailed great evidence. But if it's all fine and rosy, shouldn't we just kind of kick our feet up and not take any more action? Or should we continue marching on with great effort, dedication, movement to social, economical, financial causes that we can then continue to keep having great progress going forward? How do you kind of square those two kind of things together? If it leads to tremendous amount of human suffering, then I would say uh, perhaps it is time to slow down uh, in, in terms of uh, in terms of um, uh, in terms of addressing climate change, I mean, I mean, to, to um, it is obvious that the current program is not sustainable. Um, wind and solar are not going to save us without a backup technology, which has to be either gas or it has to be nuclear. Okay, um, it is obvious that we cannot go on increasing taxes on energy consumption uh, without destroying our ability to actually produce uh, to for our economy to produce and for our people to have a job so what you are asking people to do is on behalf of this uh of of this uh, uh non-existent existential crisis 
to basically destroy the societies in which they live, right? Um, to to destroy the entire industrial base of the United Kingdom, for example, the the to destroy the ability of British people to enjoy their lives because of this nonsensical zero uh, net zero policy. Um, the reality is the world is warming. It is warming at a much lower rate than than what the uh, what was expected. Um, we have plenty of time uh, to address the problems that may come along. And in the meantime, we can deal with, we can adapt to the changing climate. We are the only animal capable of adjusting to other to to to, to changing climate. Um, you can wake up uh, in the morning, in the middle of winter, in Canada, where it's minus twenty degrees Fahrenheit, and you can fly to the Caribbean in four hours, where it's plus eighty degrees Fahrenheit. It's a difference of one hundred degrees Fahrenheit, and yes, survive. Why do you survive? Because the infrastructure has been built to support life. Uh, both in Canada in the middle of winter and the Caribbean in uh, you know when 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 it's very hot. So so we are an adaptive species. We can adapt to changing environment. Uh, global temperatures are not rising as fast as it was as 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 we were worried about. Uh, but yes, I agree that um, um, it's a it's not a bad idea to start transitioning away from uh, fossil fuels where we can do so. And the most obvious area where we can do so is production of electricity. That we will always need fossil fuels, well, not always, but we will need uh, fossil fuels for foreseeable future to power our planes, uh, for example, um, probably trucks. Um, but but not necessarily electricity and electric vehicles. One of the things that I would love to pick up on there is that you highlight the adaptability of humans. And for instance, I could go and spend a lot of time in Iceland or Norway, or I could move to Morocco. And with some activation of my prefrontal cortex, with some consideration as to climate and protective factors staying indoors use not going out at this time and not going out this time i imagine that i would probably find i'd probably burn a little because i am very very pale but i would imagine that on the whole i i, I could survive in in those climates i would imagine that there are people listening to this that will say it's great the fact that i can do that but if i'm an animal lover it's not the case that, for instance, a polar bear can can do that. So although I may be one of the more protected species against climate change, what if I have a real love for kind of specific animals that need a certain climate? What would kind of your answer be to, to that? Polar bears are thriving. Uh, there are more polar bears than there were a decade or 20 years ago. Uh, polar bears are thriving. I mean, part of the reason why the environmentalists constantly had to ch change the, the mascot uh, of their movement is that whenever whenever something takes off it uh, and it's in danger, it, it stops being endangered. I'm old enough to remember when environmentalist lobby uh, had the whale as their mascot. Well, there are plenty of whales now, so they switched over to uh, the panda bear. Now there are so many panda bears that they changed to um, polar bears. Now polar bears are doing fine, so they will have to find something else. Look. Um, Yes, uh, I don't want to be too glib. I mean, I think that uh, we should be good stewards of the environment. But what, what concerns me is that the pendulum has swung too far. Uh, human beings no longer feature in this uh, uh, in this uh, in, in in this equation. Uh, you know, it, it used to be that environment didn't feature at all, and we did a lot of damage to the environment during the industrial revolution. And uh, and now the pendulum has swung so far 
that it's all about the environment and the human being no longer plays a role and and uh, his or her well-being and i think that we need to we need to recenter the debate a little bit and that's what my book is trying to do superabundance is trying to is, is to recenter the debate and acknowledge that whilst we want to be good stewards of the environment we also need to care about the well-being of human beings. I mean, you cannot just squeeze uh, the taxpayer for every last penny. You cannot just ban people from flying like the French are trying to do. Uh, you cannot just ban, um, you know, gas stoves and and uh, and and heaters because because some some politician in Whitehall has a wet dream about uh, whatever those new things are. Uh, um, and one of the things that I would love to ask you, Marianne, about is when I was going through a lot of research on this and not only do i look to kind of empirical sources i also love to see kind of what the social attitudes to it i read through uh, videos and i read on social media platforms etc and it's not uncommon to see particularly young people say phrases like humans are a, a cancer on the planet um, and this is not me making it up. You can head over to platforms like Twitter yourself and, and you can quite easily find these things. And I would love to kind of ask you, when you hear people coming out with statements like that, do you think that the desire from people to kind of help a, a, a great and noble cause like climate change is driven by the desire to help? Or do you perhaps feel like they may be something else driving them at a deeper level um what what are your kind of thoughts on on that i i do think so i i think that um uh, we are all uh, striving i mean we, we are the only animal capable of foreseeing our own demise our death the the ultimate end and i think that what we try to do we 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 strive to make some sort of a sense of life we try for the transcendental we 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 sort of strive for the transcendental we try to leave something behind we we have a very difficult we have a very difficult time thinking that you know when we die that that's it and so we try to leave something behind i mean uh, you, you can leave behind your children obviously you are passing your genes onto your children you can leave behind a body of work some of us write books um you can uh, get involved in a very important cause right something something larger than yourself and, and traditionally um you know that used to be religion uh getting a sense of your identity and where you're heading with religion now well religion is sort of dying off in the western world and so i sort of feel like uh for many people uh environmentalism is is a new religion and a new sense of meaning to their lives you know um that the, there's so much of of uh, religion that i see in the green movement you know this obsession with perfection of the garden of eden which is the world before industrialization the uh the 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 the, the, the evil devils the ceos and fossil fuel companies and then the saints like greta thunberg i mean when you look at the way that greta is treated uh she she is a saint i mean she 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 is a secular saint um and uh of course the armageddon uh, you know, just like just like in Christian religion and many some maybe some others, there is always end of days. You know, the big rapture um, where where the evil ones are punished. Uh, it's the same with uh, environmentalism and this and this uh, and this environmental catastrophe, which they are promising and have been promising for a very long time, and which never seems to happen. Um, so I think that there is something to it. It's it's a it's a striving for meaning. I think that young people are especially um, 
liable to get infected because young people have a, a sense of the heroic. Um, you know, uh, people at the age of, uh, I don't know, 16, 17, 18, 19, all the way to their late 20s feel like they can do anything. You know, the world is their oyster. They don't think about retirement. They don't think about saving for retirement. They don't think about drinking a lot. They don't think about partying a lot. Um, because, because their bodies can take anything. This is the, this is the, the time when they, when they really feel that they are completely invincible. It is also time when a lot of young people, um, take on these, uh, highly moralistic and, um, uh, um and 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 idealistic crusades um you know so so yes i th i think it's a search for meaning and combined with with the youth and the sort of revolutionary zeal of the young uh, that, that 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 to my mind uh, is a good candidate for the psychological background to why extreme environmentalism is especially popular amongst the young people in universities yeah, and you mentioned a key figure in all of this, and that is, of course, Greta Thunberg. I'm curious what your thoughts are on what Greta's contribution to all of this been. Has she been a help? Has she been a hindrance? Where do you stand on that? I don't think that she has galvanized anything. I think that this movement has always been there in different uh, in different forms. Um, you know, in the 1970s, you had the anti-nuclear um, uh, protests, and in 1980s. Um, I, I don't think that she, she has created a new movement. I think that she has uh, um, people in Western Europe and I including in the United States have been taught about uh, the environment for much longer than, than Greta has been around. Um, I, I think that uh, she became a bit of a mascot, but I don't think that she has... Uh, she has certainly not given birth to anything. Maybe on the margins she has increased participation. Deeply depressed, deeply, deeply... Uh, deeply ill child who found environmentalism something to do. Um, that 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 that, that I'm, I'm not being uh, I'm, I'm not being nasty here. I, I I think that Greta was suffering from serious psychological problems, as described by her mother, um, and uh, she found that by devoting herself to the environment, she could cope uh, with with the real world. I don't know whether it was autism or something else. Not, not nothing wrong with that. It's just that. Uh, environmentalism produced a way out that that sort of uh that sort of search for meaning a structure uh, that uh, that 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 greta was was needing and if we look at perhaps some of the ideas that you discuss in superabundance whether that is human progress the threat of existential collapse the importance of humans um i would love to kind of ask you what your thoughts are on whether this idea of population collapse is a real threat and whether reducing um, the population to some extent is a good idea. I'm curious to get your kind of thoughts on those those two questions. I think that um, um, if we do have a population decline, then that will have a dramatic effect on economic growth. Um, you know, we, we are used to having our economy grow at least 1% per year, maybe 2% per year, um, you know, 3% per year if it's a good year. Uh, but if you have a declining population, you may very well see economy not just stop growing, but, but decline. Now, some people who don't care about economic growth might say, well, that's not a big deal. Well, it is kind of a big deal if you're thinking about, um, you know, the, the same people who say, um, Economic growth is not such a big deal. Also complain that young people are, for the first time, not going to have as good lives or better lives than their parents, right? 
So if we want our children to have better lives than us, then we need economic growth. If we want to pay for the debts which we have acquired, we need economic growth. If we are going to find ways of paying for uh, social security, for pensions of people coming down the line, uh, we need economic growth. If we are going to be hit with another pandemic uh, in a few years' time and um, we don't have enough money, uh, how are we going to, to handle it? I mean, we certainly cannot shut down the society again for two years. We wouldn't be able to borrow money to, to, to pay for it. A wealthy society uh, can cope with these kinds of shocks. Um, the wealthy and the more technologically sophisticated society can can handle more pandemics. It can handle asteroids, you know, hopefully uh, uh, prevent asteroid strikes and all sorts of other things. So so the, the reason why I'm 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 very gung-ho on, on economic growth is not just because I want our children to have better lives. It's not just because I want to pay the debts that we have created, not only because I want to take care of the elderly and the pension system, but also because I want to have a rich and a technologically sophisticated society that is going to be able to tackle the problems of tomorrow, not just the problems that we know of, such as coming pandemics, but also problems that we don't know of. We don't know what's going to threaten human species in 50 years. I would much rather have more technology and more wealth to be able to preserve our species from destruction. I, I've heard Elon Musk say, you know, that we could be facing a uh, demographic collapse. I mean, I let's not forget that the world is still expanding in population because uh, of population growth in Africa. It will only peak in 2060s and then start declining. And then the question is, what is the slope of the decline going to be like? Are we going to sort of plateau? Is it going to be a very moderate decline so that we can sort of adjust? Or is it just going to fall off uh, the cliff? Um, uh, you know, th there is a vast difference in developed countries between 3% uh, total, uh, sorry, three children per woman per lifetime fertility rate in I Israel and 0 0.8 uh, in, in South Korea. So, so the different parts, right? I mean, if we go the Israeli route, um, in the West, then we are going to be having three children per woman for a lifetime, and uh, there is no problem. If we go the South Korean route, and we have 0 0.8 children per woman per lifetime on average, then we are going to have a serious problem. And, but nobody knows how that's going to play out. I mean, there's a long time, um, uh, you know, that, that there are a few decades in which um, these things will, will need to play out and become and, and become clearer. Um, uh, you know, I, I will leave the sex lives of the young to them, to them, uh, whether they want to, you know, whether they want to have more or less. The book, Superabundance, is intended uh, for that man or woman who are having a serious conversation together and asking, can we bring a child into the world? Um, uh, you know, a lot of your listeners are going to have that kind of conversation at some point. Do we want to have a child? Do we want to have two children? Do we want to have three children? You know? And 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 the, the point that we are trying to make in the book, which is actually not about climate change, it is about resources. In, in the book, we say there is no problem with resources. If you're concerned about resources, if you're concerned of us running out of water or food, etc., you don't have to be worried about that. We are going to have plenty, and therefore, um, it's okay to have more children. Now, whether you decide to have more children or not is completely up to you. I'm not, and I have never been somebody to urge people to have more children if they don't want to. In other words, I believe that freedom is more important than economic growth or uh, um, or superabundance. Um, but uh, but you know, these decisions that parents make, they are not made in a vacuum. 
uh, they're made within a certain zeitgeist. The zeitgeist right now says people are cancer, bringing a child into the world is an act of selfishness. And what I'm saying, neither of those is true. And one of the main things that perhaps, one of the main things that we've, of course, discussed today is that idea of human progress. And one thing that I'd love to kind of focus on when it comes to human progress is the idea of what are some of the things behind it that kind of drives it? And I'd love to kind of ask you just, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, because this idea to me, it doesn't seem as if it comes naturally. It doesn't seem as if progress is the natural phenomena. It seems like it is the consequence of things like creativity, of dedication, of genius individually and collectively. And I would love to kind of ask you, what role do you see things like social risk-taking, freedom of speech, intellectual risk-taking? What kind of role do you see those three things as uh, in terms of perhaps driving human innovation forward? Incredibly important um, because because superabundance. So what we are arguing in the book is that humans are producing more than they consume. We are saying that abundance of resources, food, fuel, metals, minerals, is growing at a faster pace than population is growing. So if population is growing at 1% or 2% and abundance of resources is growing at 3 or 4%, we call that superabundance. And, and superabundance to us is really a, a result of, an, of it's people times freedom. It's not enough to have a lot of people. You need a lot of people, right? Um, you, you need a lot of people, but that's not enough. They also have to be free. If all you needed was huge amounts of people, then China would have been the richest country always because China has been the most populous country for the last two and a half thousand years, right? But China until recently was very poor. Why? Because they didn't have freedom. So you have to have people because only people can come up with new ideas. But then freedom is very important because you need to discuss those ideas. You need to publish those ideas. You need to criticize other people's ideas. To, uh, to, 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 to find out what is a good idea and what is a bad idea. People have all sorts of ideas. Most of them are very, very bad. To figure out what idea is good for that, you need freedom of speech. Uh, you need freedom of assembly. You need freedom of uh, expression, uh, freedom of criticism. And then you also need the freedom of the market. Because once you have this idea, and even if it's a good idea, then you have to put it into practice by turning it into an innovation, right? invention and innovation and um it's only the market that can tell you whether your idea is is better than somebody else's idea uh, for a long time it was a good idea to carry around a blackberry uh and then a new idea iphone came along and displaced blackberry uh, there was a time when uh, you know if you wanted to see a movie in the evening you had to go to a store and rent a vhs tape uh, blockbuster and that got killed by netflix so so these kinds of decisions what is uh what is valuable and what idea is better than some other idea for that you need a free market where uh prices rise and fall where uh, uh where customers come and go uh where people make money but also lose money freedom is really just a way of saying that 8 billion people exchanging information. They're like a giant computer telling you what's more valuable than what's not more valuable. We need a system to tell us how fragile our ideas are. The market is a great place to do this. In academic circles, they, of course, have peer review. Without substantial feedback mechanisms, we are stuck in a bubble. 
with our friends to ever tell us that we're wrong or partners to tell us are wrong. We'll never think that we are. Um, and I believe wholeheartedly that the course of wisdom is to seek out tests to the fragility of our ideas as early as we can. I mean, Nassim Taleb, of course, wrote a, a great, great book on this. Instagram was once, of course, uh, a phone book, um, but the market had other kind of ideas for it. Um, so yeah, you know, you're right. The market is a great feedback mechanism that can clearly tell us how fragile an idea is. Market is a is an information generating uh, machine. Uh, it tells you what you need more of and tells you what you need less of. The market is telling us we need more iPhones and fewer VHS tapes. But you couldn't make these decisions in a socialist economy because prices were not allowed to rise and fall. Uh, people are not allowed to make profit or lose money. Uh, it was it was a system which couldn't create this kind of information. This has been really, really enjoyable for me. And and to kind of perhaps to, for us to start winding down now, perhaps to finish on a high, what would be some of the trends, some of the things that you were really optimistic about that you would love to share with our audience? I enjoy life, so I I, I want to live a very long time. And uh, consequently, the fact that I can look forward to living into my eighties rather than dying at the age of twenty five is 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 a good that's a, that's a very good start. Um, but but I would say that um, people underestimate. Um, but but to be absolutely serious, I think that people underestimate to what extent humanity has also changed. Not just not just living more. Um, not just flourishing, uh, but also also becoming we become nicer to each other. Um, the fact that uh, women, uh, ethnic minorities, sexual minorities are now on equal footing with everybody else, um, uh, certainly in uh, Western advanced countries, that to me says that not only are we a successful species in creating wealth, but we are also a successful species in becoming more gentle, more tolerant. Um, and and that to me seems like a good thing. Tell these guys about your books and wherever else you'd like them to to look. Well, my more general book on things getting better is called Ten Global Trends, and many others you'll find interesting. That came out about three years ago, and then my newest book is called Superabundance: The Story of Population Growth, Innovation, and Human Flourishing on an Infinitely Bountiful Planet. You can get it on Amazon. It is on sale in the UK. A paperback is coming out this month, and uh, it's also available on Kindle. And that's a more sort of in-depth dive into natural resources. And then, of course, um, uh, they can visit us on humanprogress.org. We are we are about to launch a new website. It, it's going to look much better in the next couple of days. So, so by the time maybe this comes out, the the the, the human progress website will, new one will will launch, and that's just uh, humanprogress.org. So I I, I urge. Um, uh, uh, your uh, your listeners and your viewers, if they are in need of uh, realistic um, impression of what the world is like, they can they can visit us. Everything discussed today will be linked below. Um, the question that we sign off all of our podcasts with is for Marianne Tupi right now. What makes a life worth living? Oh, good lord! Um, okay, so I'm not a philosopher. I can just tell you sort of what worked for me. Um, being surrounded by friends is very important. You can't choose your family, but you can choose your friends. Choose your friends carefully. Um, I uh, love friends who uh, make me laugh, 
friends I can travel with. Um, um, and uh, I, I get much more, much more out of experiences than out of physical things. Physical things are important, but I tend to spend my money on new experiences, especially travel, um, experiencing the world and, and, and doing it with my friends. So I would say friends and experiences that to me, uh, feels like a good life. Uh, other people may disagree, but that, that is my, um, that's what makes me happy. This has been a tremendous pleasure, Marianne. Thank you so, so much for the time. Thank you very much.